This is episode 214 of IDRA Class Notes. Community engagement is hard work, but it's always well worth it. That's the key to anything. Whenever I felt discouraged, the only thing that would make me feel better was the women that I got to really help organize against some of these bills and in favor, most importantly in favor of bills that were going to be beneficial for their students. And that care shows up in a lot of different ways, but also in like really, really powerful ways that we can and must cultivate. Hello, welcome to episode one of four of our special series featuring reflections from the inaugural cohort of IDRA Education Policy Fellows. During this podcast series, you'll hear from our fellows, Dr. Altheria Caldera, Cristina Quintanilla Munoz, Araceli Garcia, and Thomas Marshall. Please check out their bios and work using the link in this podcast. The fellows will share their reflections about their nine-month fellowship experience, including what they learned about state-level education policymaking in Texas, what it is like to be an advocate of color fighting for students of color in this state, the good, bad, and ugly of the 87th Texas Legislative Session, and their thoughts on the future of advocacy. My name is Morgan Craven. I'm the National Director of Policy, Advocacy, and Community Engagement at IDRA, and I am so excited to host this podcast series. Welcome, fellows. Are we ready to start the episode? Yes. 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 Super excited. Excellent. So my first question is going to be to all of you, and we can start with you, Christina, if that's okay. Why did you apply for IDRA's Education Policy Fellows Program? Sure. So I have kind of mentioned this story several times, but when I first saw the ad for the fellows program, I was sending it to all my friends initially thinking like, oh, I mean, I don't necessarily think I would make a good advocate or state level advocate for my community members. Let me just send it to all my friends who I know are really interested in policy work. And I eventually decided to apply myself, mostly because I thought this would be a really great learning opportunity to see how some of the research I've engaged in throughout my master's program and kind of currently as I get ready to go into my doctoral program, how that intersects with policy work and how I could be a better researcher through understanding policy, and then also kind of uplifting my own community members through my research, which uh, I know we'll get into a little bit more, but I definitely received that training. I learned so much through it all, but that was initially why I just wanted to know more about the advocacy landscape and more about how I could be a better advocate for my own community members. Thank you. Althea, same question to you. I think my reasons are very similar to Christina. I feel like I have had a strong grasp on what was going on in education from the teacher perspective and what issues were facing students, but I did not have a grasp of the policy side of it. I was really strong in the practice. So I felt like this was an opportunity for me to strengthen my skills when it comes to policy and, and the fellowship did not disappoint in that regard. So, and then a second reason I think I was interested in applying is because I felt that this was an opportunity to make a difference. I felt that I could bring something to the fellowship and I had lots of knowledge and lots of skills and I didn't feel like I was using them the way that that the fellowship has allowed me to. So I wanted to put to work on behalf of my community, some of those skills and talents that I brought to the fellowship. 
Thank you. And I think that's a perfect jump to you, Araceli. <laughs> um, yeah, thank you. I will be honest in that I am all about like people connecting to people. So though all the things that Altheria and Christina mentioned also were really attractive to me about the fellowship, making a difference, getting on a better handle on the education policy landscape here in Texas, I think Morgan and Selena basically had me at hello. We work for IDRA you know, reading their bios, uh, everything that Morgan Craven, who's on our call with us now, and Selena Moreno, who is our uh, CEO, president, fearless leader, <laughs> just seeing two women of color really uh, doing really amazing work here in Texas against truly all the odds um, and still really putting our communities at the forefront of the work was really important to me. And then they mentioned just casually off the cuff, that uh, they have a strong relationship with Dr. Angela Valenzuela. And that really sealed the deal because as an undergrad, I read her book, Subtractive Schooling, and I completely related to the experiences. Though it was written almost more than 20 years ago now at this point, she could have been writing about my own experiences in high school, and I wanted to be able to change those things. And uh, when they said that they were just in coalition with her and regularly <laughs> talked with her and um, that they would pass me her contact information, I, I knew that this was the organization for me. Thank you. And Thomas, why did you apply to the fellowship? This is a great question. I feel like all of the fellows have answered this so beautifully, and it's really hard to top up <laughs> thinking about so many answers because they resonate a lot with me. But when I think about this fellowship, a lot of it comes from just my own upbringing, thinking about growing up, going to a Title I school, looking at the inequities that I kind of saw already, but really didn't know how to put to words in general. But then I remember coming across my advisor sending me the email for the fellowship. It's a policy of color, and it's a really cool, really cool experience to be able to get to advocate and work in state policy, which is something that I was always interested in. So I really wanted to take this on. And I thought it was going to be a really great segment for my career. So along with all the other things that the fellows have said, I think I'm very, very blessed to have this opportunity and experience to be advocates as well as try to work to Thank you. And I, of course, have heard you all talk about that before. And what I love about all of your responses is that I think they are just perfect examples of what we are trying to achieve in our work across our teams. You know, some of you have interest in data and research, some of you in educational practice and professional experience, some of you in community engagement, some of you in communications, and just like bringing all of that into our policy space. I just feel so lucky that you all have those, those backgrounds that you brought to this policy work as you developed your policy chops. So the next question is going to be for you, Thomas. Could you describe what your fellowship experience was like? I think especially for people who might be listening to this podcast and wondering if they should apply for the fellowship and kind of want to get a sense of the flow of the nine months. Yeah, so the flow of the nine months is a, is a really great process. So I remember coming in, we had early learning sessions, and it was a whirlwind of everything about Texas education, the history of IDRA, Texas legislative process in general, learning about what chubbing is and words like that. Um, it was a myriad, a variety of different topics that we were able to learn about. It honestly gave us a really great crash course and was able to help us think about some broader things that we needed in the future, but kind of set the groundwork and set the tone for the entire fellowship, being able to learn from other advocates in the state, as well as other IDRA folks was really cool. So we were really given a really great 
introduction into everything from that first um, November and December period when we didn't really know how to write bills or, or you know, engage with the policy work necessarily. But it laid a great foundation for us to really understand some of these bigger ideals. Thank you. And I know, obviously, that was to prepare you all for uh, the Texas legislative session, which was really the focal point purpose of the fellowship. So Altheria, what was it like to learn about the Texas legislature as the legislative session was happening? Intense. It was was really intense because we were learning and doing simultaneously. And so there was no time to get left behind. I was learning to write testimony as I was writing testimony, for example. I was learning about the process that a bill goes through to become a law as the bill was becoming a law. Just learning to insert myself in the process. I look at it like a lot of times we think about in teaching theory and practice. I feel like the first several months were the theory part of it, the this is what happens if, and this is how this goes. And then all of a sudden when session came, we got a chance to practice some of those things that we had learned about and even gain new knowledge and skills that were not necessarily covered in the learning session. So it was intense. It was really gratifying because I love learning. This opportunity to do so from a hands-on perspective was really for me probably the best part of the fellowship because of the hands-on aspect of it. And then because it also, I'll add this one last thing, because it gave me the opportunity to work with the other fellows in ways that we had not done so previously. As I said, the first couple of months, we were just listening a lot and not necessarily participating a ton. And so when the legislature started, we were working together a lot. And I think that's really kind of what cemented our bond as fellows. And you did incredible work and managed to do that during COVID when obviously a lot of the in-person opportunities that shape advocacy work were not available for quite some time, especially prior to the vaccine. So Araceli, I was wondering if you could talk about what it was like to be physically away from the Capitol, but still you know, do all of the things that Altheria mentioned, get to know legislators and staffers, work in coalition, and, and to do all of that virtually. What was that? experience like? Of course. And as Althea was talking about a hands-on experience, it's funny because it's a hands-on experience, but also sort of like hands-on from afar, which is, I mean, obviously it presented many challenges, especially when it came to family engagement work. Um, Things like the digital divide affect the communities that IDRA cares about and serves the most. And it obviously made those kind of situations more difficult. On the other hand, it also provided a lot of us and many of our community members more access to the Capitol than they otherwise might have during a regular session with the Capitol being so far away. And it allowed all of us also from our various parts of Texas, not all of us were in Austin or weren't in Austin for the whole fellowship. It also allowed us to have meetings with lawmakers, to have meetings with their legislative staff, to hold advocacy nights and things like that that didn't necessarily have to happen at the Capitol. And so I think getting to have some of that experience here toward the end, um, once more of us were vaccinated and and felt a little bit safer going into the building, I think was nice to be able to supplement that learning. But I think it also opened our world, actually, and opened the worlds of a lot of our community-based advocates as well into like not losing that additional access piece that comes along with this new sort of virtual world that we're navigating because it does have things for us to add as well. 
Yeah, I thought that was a really interesting thing that came out of the session. And so glad that you all found so many ways to take advantage of that where we could, even still acknowledging the limits to access that are significant in the policymaking process. Christina, um, Altheria touched on this a little bit, and I was hoping you could kind of get back to it. Can you talk a little bit about how your learning experience and your doing experience was shaped by being able to work with other fellows in the cohort? Absolutely. I could talk about that all day if you let me. I mean, the fellowship experience would not have been the same without this group. This cohort is composed of brilliant scholars and uh, advocates who I was so honored to work alongside with um, in our nine months together. And it feels like a whirlwind. But as Altheria mentioned, you know, our bond was really forged uh, during the legislative session where we worked you know, day and night together on on issues that, um, you know, we were doing separately in our own policy focus areas, but definitely on overlapping issues and other projects and other initiative or agenda items. And so to answer the question, I guess, more plainly, the fellowship experience was wildly enhanced with a cohort. I mentioned this several times, but I feel like the fellows are mirrors to my work and they've kind of helped me to see what is most important to me about advocacy and in terms of like how I can become a better advocate to my communities. I look to them because they are just living proof of the kinds of people who our communities are in in amazing hands with, you know, advocates who are passionate about these issues, who are um, knowledgeable about connecting our community members and are dedicated to doing the work. And so, you know, I'm very grateful that I had a cohort to share the fellowship experience with. I kind of view them as the iron that sharpened me. So iron sharpening iron. I think that without each other, uh, we could have still done all the great work we did, of course, through our own personal journeys. But I think what made this cohort so effective and so so much of a powerhouse is because we did a lot of things together. And I think without the presence of one another, um, it would have been a very different experience. A powerhouse indeed. I love it. Thank you so much for that. Araceli, I'm going to go to you for the next question, though. I would love for all of you to answer it. And just kind of getting back to this idea that we talked about at the very beginning of this episode, you each brought certain knowledge and passions and expertise to the fellowship. What did that look like for you? And how did you think about the connection between your interests prior to the fellowship and policymaking? And why why is that connection important? Where do you see it going for you? Yeah, so um, I'm all about immigrant rights and education equity. And before this fellowship opportunity, I had really only focused on the immigrant rights part of what's important to me. I worked um, at organizations that were doing pro bono work directly with asylum seekers who are detained. I had been doing on-campus undergraduate activism to make sure that our universities were as welcoming and protective of undocumented students as possible. And so this, I, but I did minor in education because as I mentioned earlier, education equity issues, and I think Thomas talked about this as well. Like I went to a Title I school. When people talk about at-risk youth, that was me. But of course, you know, we were also at risk of greatness and a lot of other things that people would just invest in us. And that's what I wanted to prove to others. And I also wanted to say that just because I was able to achieve certain things doesn't mean that. I don't want us to feed into exceptionalism and say that just because Araceli 
was able to do these things and go on and do well, then all of those students have technically that opportunity and don't choose that. I wanted to be a part of education policy landscapes to say, just because one person makes it and they're the exception, that's not right. We need to make this the rule. And there's a reason why it's the rule for other people and it's not the rule for us. And so I think that that was so visionary of the folks at IDRA to put together a fellowship that brings in people who look and are from the communities that we are hoping to serve, because that means that we bring our own knowledge and expertise, the expertise that we are able to gain from our communities and the connections we're able to make with them to make sure that we really are truly advocating with our communities and not on behalf of them or for them, because it really makes a difference in our work. Thank you. And I don't know if at risk of greatness is your phrase. But, but <laughs> you know, it might have been mentioned in my valedictorian speech, but. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little flex. Theria, I'm going to go to you with that question. Um, you brought a ton of knowledge and passion and expertise and focus to the fellowship. And kind of what, what do you think about the connection between your, you know, personal and professional interests and policymaking and why that connection has been important for your work? When I think about this question, I think about the day that I submitted my application. And you might remember, Morgan, or you could go back and check this. When we had to indicate what area we wanted to work in of our five policy priority areas, I left mine blank. And I did it on purpose because I felt like I could fit in on either one of those. And that has to do with the fact that educational equity is the work that I do, you know, professionally as a teacher, educator, as a researcher and scholar. These are the kind of issues that I teach my students who are future teachers and are practicing teachers about. So I felt like I had knowledge and expertise in those areas. So either one of them would suit me well. But I'll give an example of specifically how some of my work transferred into the policy work. I do a lot of work around preparing teachers to go into classrooms and schools and be excellent teachers or practitioners with students of color. And part of my work in this fellowship was writing a bill proposal in which I proposed that counselors have implicit bias training. And it was such a link to the work that I do, because these are the things that I think teachers should have, too. Teachers should be aware of their own biases and know how to reduce the effects of those in the classroom. So it was easy for me to transfer that application over to school counseling and to um, think about the importance. Wow, it's not just teachers who need this. It's important that counselors do, too, because they have such an impact on students' decision-making and students and their families learning about post-secondary options. So it was easy for me to make that connection about implicit bias, the importance of educators having that kind of training. I was passionate about it. I cared a whole lot. And I had the knowledge to be able to write that bill analysis, if that makes sense. It does. And what an incredible connection. Thomas, same question for you about, you know, the knowledge and passion and skills that you brought to this and the connection to policymaking and how that was important for you in the fellowship. Yeah, for me, I feel like I brought in a lot of different areas and IDRA kind of helped me mold and shape exactly what, I, what I'm trying to do in this life and also giving me more questions of 
how I can do even more and, and thinking about what's next for me. But I came in so with um, an English degree and just graduating from college. And so having a, a minor in youth development studies, getting kind of some of that um, research and analysis things of things in the classroom, but not never really diving into K-12. But I knew I had a passion for just a lot of Black students and Black student activism in my undergrad, um, similar to Araceli. And so I felt this kind of need to channel that somewhere. So that then transitioned me um, to getting a degree in higher education um, because I wanted to learn about the policies and practices behind higher ed and the history of it and how it's rooted in systemic racism and white supremacy and how do we kind of undo some of those things. Like how do we get to a top 10% plan and why are Black students not being you know, affected by it like they should be. Um, different things like that that I thought were really interesting that I saw in my home in South Carolina, um, but then going to Texas, seeing how there's a, a bigger landscape and a lot more things to be able to, to really dive into. Um, and so partnering with my, just my lived experiences as a Black student um, in the K-12 experience, as well as having a, a deep dive into digital communications, um, the role kind of was able to fit a lot of different areas and interests that were super interesting and passionate to me. And that was a, the really great thing about being a policy fellow was we get to do dip our hands in a lot of different areas. Um, so even though one of us has our different issue areas, we're always able to see things that are always pulled into and encouraged actually to explore different options and explore different areas that would be of interest to us. Being able to learn about the budgets of every single higher ed institution in Texas is like crazy. And that's, uh, but it's really cool. It's a, it's a really cool experience. And we get to kind of uncover the veil on some of these systems that people already understand, but we just kind of put them into higher level terms. And so it was really interesting and cool from my perspective to integrate some of the work that I do inside the classroom and have done throughout my undergraduate experience to be able to put that into practice. Yeah, you're making me realize I need to apply for the fellowship because I read <laughs> <Yes>. this. <laughs> no, it's 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 so interesting. I could I could now talk about higher budget hours. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Christina, on to you and all of the knowledge and skills and passions that you brought to this and the connection to policymaking. Yeah, so I know I mentioned that this is kind of the fellowship program anyway was an introduction to this advocacy space for me. Most of my formal training and my educational background has really been scholarly research as it relates to psychology and um, thinking about my master's program that I recently graduated from. That particular program was really focused on research methods, statistics. And so essentially the program prepared me to be a data analyst or a data scientist of some kind that would kind of work out of an academic setting. And, you know, through that program, I realized I wasn't quite satisfied with that. Um, I, I knew I wanted to kind of remain engaged with uncovering certain systemic inequities that exist within my community, but I wasn't quite sure what direction I wanted to take that in my research. So, you know, during the fellowship, I will kind of echo what Thomas mentioned. I was really grateful for that opportunity uh, and the capacity to kind of explore those options throughout the fellowship. 
I, I remember like the first week I was like inundated with all this information <laughs> through our, our crash course sessions, um, kind of preparing us for ledge work and advocacy work that we would be experiencing throughout the fellowship. And I was like, oh no, what have I done? I am not equipped for this. But I was really grateful um, knowing that IDRA was welcoming my my experiences and research because I think that became the like the tone of my fellowship, right? Was kind of exploring my area through the lens of equity-based research. And that to me was so special because that helped me realize where I want to spend my professional career in. And um, that kind of helped me to think about where I can apply my formal training and stats and research methods so that I can actually inform some of these policy recommendations that are speaking to and addressing the issues that have impacted uh, not only my community, but the the broader Texas community for so long. And uh, I think throughout the fellowship, even more so, I learned that there's a there seems to be a gap that needs bridging between academic and scholarly research and policy and advocacy. And that to me is where I kind of found my home, my little niche, because I I feel like I've got all this formal training. Why is the institution trying so hard to to keep me in the academic setting? And so I, I am really appreciative that the fellowship or IDRA more specifically has allowed me to kind of flirt with that, understand that bridge why it's important, how I can kind of expand my um, professional options and educational options through that lens. Uh, I think that's been really, really special to me. And not only that side of my formal training, as I mentioned, I've always really been interested in working with students. Any opportunity I had, whether that was through my undergrad program, through informal uh, mentoring or tutoring, um, throughout my master's program, I was a teaching assistant. So all those different uh, experiences, working with students, mentoring them, um, kind of hearing about their learning process really informed the way I produced my research throughout the fellowship. I wanted to understand what solutions community members, specifically students, what solutions that they had to offer and how we can help craft policy recommendations that are honest and um, are true to what the community members want and hope to see. And so that was really special for me, was kind of bridging those uh, interests and being able to explore those throughout my fellowship. Yeah, thank you. You said so many good things. I would highlight one, you know, something Selena and I say a lot is everyone is a policy advocate. And it's easy to say that and to like encourage people to think that way. But you're right. For some people, it's actually really scary to jump into that into this space, especially if you can't see the connections between everything that you know already and what you could do. So I I really appreciate kind of how you described that feeling and and learning how you could, in your words, create that special niche given, you know, your other interests. The last question I'll put out there for you, if you don't mind starting out the area, is just what is the most important skill or most important lesson? It could be a good lesson you learned or a lesson that hurt you at the time, but that you'll carry with you forever that you, you'll take from the fellowship? I think the most important lesson for me was also a difficult lesson, and that is the importance of collaboration in advocacy work. This is not a solo endeavor. It is impossible to achieve the aims that you want to see achieved without the support of others. And 
for me, that was realized in the fellowship itself with the other fellows, with the IDRA staff, realizing how much I needed their support and with the coalition partners with whom we work as an organization. And so I just realized it's invaluable. You can't do this work without other people. And the reason that was difficult for me is because I'm more of an introvert. I like being by myself. I like working by myself. And in academia, so much of our work is solitary and solo. So shifting to meeting with others and hearing their thoughts and valuing their perspectives, that was an important lesson for me moving forward. And it was, like I said, also really difficult just because of who I am personally. Thank you for sharing that. I'm sure a lot of people connect with that. Uh, Thomas, same question to you. What's the most important skill or lesson, good or bad, that you learned from the fellowship? I think the lesson is in, and this is from the fellows. The fellows definitely taught me this. I'll go on the personal route of taking care of yourself and like community care. I remember when Araceli brought this up and like one of our fellows hang out to things one day. And I was like, wow, let's get on to that. We, everyone should be doing this because <laughs> self-care is not enough. Um, and we know policy work is very emotionally laborious. It is very fulfilling and I am honored and grateful to be able to do it, but also having to almost carry what seems like a burden, not necessarily a burden, I want to reframe that, but what carrying a lot of the weight of seeing just a lot of our global systems, awful, awful inequities, is hard to manage every day. Um, and on top of when you're attempting to either stop a really bad bill or things like that, it is really important to take care of yourself and figure out what that looks like. But on the grander scheme of things, checking in with other folks and how you can be a vessel for someone else. And I think that is a really the essence of this policy work. And, and I think the cohort style model of fellowship really speaks to that and the fact that we're able to lean on each other and have each other after those hard days or get to know each other on that personal level is is a very important thing and I think that's the lesson I'm going to take away from that is when doing this type of work being in coalition with um, other folks like out there you said collaborating with other folks you have this shared experience of being on the side of marginalized communities and, and that's a very unique position um, and being able to lean on each other for support, love, and healing is a very, very, very important thing. I love it so much. Thank you. Christina, we're going to go to you. What's the most important skill or lesson, good or bad, that you are going to take from the fellowship? I think my lesson, it falls in the same kind of theme as what Thomas and Altheria shared. I think what I learned is that nothing really replaces a well-nurtured relationship. And what I mean by that is like several things. One, in my work as a researcher, a quantitative researcher by nature, I tend to look at the numbers, but it's about understanding the people behind those numbers. And that's what's important. But more importantly, it's really cultivating that relationship with those people, with the, the faces behind the numbers. That's the most important, right? How do we uplift those affected communities, the affected people within those communities. And it's about understanding them. It's about understanding their lives, their cultural identities, their backgrounds. So that's one. 
Two, in terms of what Thomas just said, sustaining our work, that's what I mean by nothing can replace that. What sustained me in this work is the relationships we nurtured with each other as fellows uh, within our cohort, with our team and our other family at IDRA. That is what sustained my work because this work is challenging and it can cause you to feel overwhelmed and sometimes tired, but nothing really replaces knowing that there are other folks other friends, family members who are in this work for the same reasons you are and leaning on each other in strength when you need it is nothing replaces that. Nothing is more, more empowering, I guess. These quotes y'all are dropping, nothing replaces a well-nurtured relationship. I love it so much. Araceli, we're going to wrap up with you. Yes. So I, I think the most important skill or like lesson that I'm moving away from this fellowship with has to do with community engagement. Community engagement is hard work, but it's always well worth it. That's the key to anything. Whenever I felt discouraged or whenever, you know, I would come home at the end of the day and tell my family about 39 HB 3979 and how people were just so sneaky and um, it felt like we couldn't win against these kinds of like really heinous bills. The only thing that would make me feel better was the women that I got to really help organize against some of these bills and in favor, most importantly, in favor of bills that were going to be beneficial for their students who were learning English in schools. And so I think that that is the lesson for me, that organizing against those bad bills is also just as important as organizing for the good ones, because that's when the community building happens. That's when the bonding happens. That's when people get fired up about the issues that matter to them. Um, And that is the only thing that (laughs) can bring back the energy in a rough session or at at the end of a rough day where you're just, your personhood has come under attack in the halls of power of the state. And what you can do is (laughs) look to your community Um, because they're the ones who are going to hold you and talking about community care, they're the ones who are going to care for you. And that care shows up in a lot of different ways, but also in like really, really powerful ways that we can and must cultivate. I love you all. And I think that your answers to this question really demonstrate why all of you are feelers and lovers of people and see the good and the importance and value of all people. And so thank you all for all of that and for everything that you have done for throughout the fellowship to really center the people who are impacted by our education system and education policies in this state. We're going to wrap up the first episode of this series. There are three more to look forward to. Thank you all for your thoughts and your beautiful words and your time today. And that's a wrap. Thank you for listening to IDRA Class Notes. For more information on IDRA and other Class Notes topics, go to www.idra.org. You can also send us your thoughts by email to podcast at idra.org.